Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of That Day of Menden Show. This is a public service, and it's brought to you by the Institute for Native Arts and Media, and that is our nonprofit parent organization. Today, we're continuing to talk to our Kiowa tribal candidates for office, and today we have Cole DeLon. He is a candidate for the District 4 seat uh, for the Kiowa tribe. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kelly, so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan, so this is really a great opportunity. Well, thank you. Uh, let's start, and I'm going to start with a question that I've asked every candidate so far. What are you going to do to improve the quality of life for the Kiowa people? Thank you so much again for the opportunity to join you this morning and introduce myself to your listeners. I'm running to bring a fresh perspective to tribal government that's informed by a wealth of unique lived and professional experience. For those of you curious about my family background, I hail from the White Horses and Kicking Birds. My grandmother, Dorothy Whitehorse Delon, is well known and beloved by many of you. She's a safekeeper of our Kiowa language and culture, and at a youthful 89, she still works to ensure the survival of both by teaching with the tribe programs, as well as at Cameron. USAO and other schools within the area. My grandfather, Carl Kickingbird, and great uncle, Roland Whitehorse, both served on the Kiowa Business Committee, and their legacy of leadership within and service to our tribe inspires me every day. I'm incredibly lucky to enjoy the foundation of family that I do, and it enabled me to have some really cool opportunities. I studied writing and literature, first at Dartmouth and subsequently at Columbia University in Manhattan. While in college for several years afterward, I worked at Vogue magazine producing photo shoots which was really effective in terms of teaching me to get things done and how to tackle problems as well as scaling budgets. For much of the past decade, I've worked as a political consultant, driving voter turnout and participation and the democratic process and promoting common sense problem solvers running for Congress, major city councils and president. That's given me first hand insight into what approaches and policies work best when it comes to serving constituents. And the lessons that have really resonated with me the most are that the first priorities of a legislator are to listen and to engage with the people they represent and to ensure that their fundamental needs are being addressed. Other candidates running for office are putting forth flashy and grand plans. That's really exciting and where our tribe absolutely should aspire to progress. But the reality is that we're emerging from an extended period of transition and tumult and gridlock. Everyone in the tribe recognizes this. And I think we risk overlooking the imperative for a solid foundation before we build out more complex infrastructures. I've been undertaking an informal needs assessment over the past month by meeting with voters, listening to them every day, shaking their hands. And the refrain that I hear, especially from our elders, are concerns about the questions that impact our everyday lives. How will I get to the hospital to pick up my prescription refill? How will I get the grass cut despite limitations to my mobility? How do I secure assistance for utilities? Where does one even go to access aid for housing repairs? I had the pleasure of chatting with one specific elder in particular just the other evening. She is the granddaughter of the late Reverend Guy Quitone, and she expressed that having help with her household cleaning every week would help make her life much easier as an elder. We can't forget the practical challenges that generate the most impact upon our constituents. These might not be the most glamorous questions to consider, but they're the questions that determine the quality of life in the most immediate way for our Kiowas in District 4 and across the tribe. If District 4 voters put their confidence in me, I want to completely reconfigure the paradigm that's been in place. The legislative office belongs to District 4 residents, not to the legislator. You should feel comfortable calling, emailing, or physically coming into the office at any time in order to begin the process of voicing concerns, seeking support, or just saying hello. 
Elders should have reliable care and check-ins, which is why I plan to implement a program that matches some of our younger Kiowas with those elders. Our youth can help with those prescription and grocery pickups while learning through dialogue and conversation from our Kiowas who have a wellspring of lived experience. Now, another guiding touchstone principle for me is the conviction that tribal government should trust its citizens. When it comes to the distribution of resources to which tribe members are entitled, each individual and family knows what application of said resources will prove the most optimal for them. Our citizens are equipped to make the best decisions for themselves and loved ones in terms of identifying where monetary aid and support will make the most impact. They don't need entrenched powers directing them how to spend their money or tying their hands behind their backs by placing arduous conditions on how and where exactly that money can be deployed. Constitutionally, our legislature is invested with the authority to establish per capita payments to citizens of the tribe. And I really think that commencing that process should be a priority for the new administration and legislature. The Kiowa Tribal Empowerment Center or a community garden sounds really awesome in the abstract, but I posit this to every Kiowa voter. Will your life be improved more concretely by investing tribal monies and construction costs on new buildings or by streamlining them directly to cash relief? Is your life going to be more positively impacted by deploying tribal resources into a garden or by monetary support to mitigate the skyrocketing cost of gas? Our leadership has lost sight of the most pressing concerns and realities of our Kiowa citizens, that needs to change, and that's exactly why I'm running. Now that I've shared some of my vision for the tribe, I think it would also be helpful for listeners and voters in District 4 to get a sense of where those running for the Jimmy Creek legislative seat contrast with each other. Some of our fellow Kiowas tuning in may be wondering what differentiates and sets us apart from each other. Sometimes whenever you're kind of tuning in and listening to these policy propositions, they can sort of sound similar. <laughs> And during my opponent's chat with you, she mentioned that our tribe is losing many of our younger generation to disengagement, disinterest, and diaspora. I think she's absolutely right on that count, and that's one of the reasons that motivated me to run. As a member of that younger generation myself, I'm excited to bring insight into how our tribe might adapt to an evolving external world so that we may flourish for future generations yet to come. But of course, the wisdom of our elders is our most valuable resource as a tribe. And I'm excited to partner my own generational perspective with that of District 5 legislator Anita Anko-Johnson and Rhonda Haiti, both of whom have endorsed me, in order to ensure that our people have dynamic cross-generational partnerships leading the way forward with that balance of new ideas and bedrock time-tested knowledge gleaned from years of service. A second area in which my opponent and I defer is sovereignty. I do not hesitate to proudly proclaim that the sovereignty of Kiowas as a tribal nation is inherent and comes from Daki. We do not derive our sovereignty and authority from, to self-govern from external governments. And any failures by those external governments, whether the state political apparatus here in Oklahoma or the federal government of the United States, to accurately recognize our sovereignty do not alter the intrinsic and irrefutable nature of that sovereignty. By contrast, my opponent and certain candidates for other offices have contended that we are not presently of sovereign status. My opponent has even asserted that our nation is not legitimate until we get a judicial branch up and running. This is actively dangerous rhetoric for any Kiowa elective officials to promote while the administration of Governor Stitt persistently attacks these concepts that serve as a linchpin of existence of our, our tribe. Kaiwas will never hear me supplying that kind of cannon fodder to influences and to actors that seek to rob us of our rights. As a final point, I'd like to touch upon a very serious topic. 
My opponent brought up the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls during her conversation with you. In recent years, North American culture at large has experienced a reckoning with respect to the disproportionate rate at which violence impacts women from Native backgrounds. As a tribe, it is of course imperative that we protect Kiowa women from external forces driving this tragic phenomenon. But an uncomfortable reality, which often goes overlooked, but that is playing out even presently within our Kawa tribe, is that the solution to this crisis begins with internal accountability and honesty. I realize that this is not an easy truth, but it's an important and necessary one. Domestic abuse thrives in the shadows. All too often, it's dismissed as salacious gossip or downplayed as a personal matter that no one else's business. That's a mischaracterization because this is a matter the significance of which cannot be overstated. It speaks to the very heart of who we are as a people. Are we collectively a tribe that ducks our head into the sand? Or do we recognize that democracy perishes in darkness and that transparency is the most essential dimension to a flourishing and healthy tribe? Are we a people that allows sickness to spread by virtue of secrecy? Or are we as Kiowas, warriors that fight for a thriving and safe future on behalf of our women and our youth? I submit that all District 4 voters ask themselves this question. Do you want a legislative representative who remains silent on concerns as grave as this? Or do you want a legislator who calls out wrong when they see it? Do you want a legislator who will allow the executive branch to discredit them publicly for situational convenience? Or do you want a legislator who is willing to fight for what's right even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient? That's the choice facing you in this election. And I thank you for your consideration and humbly ask for your vote. Thank you for that. Now, let me ask you something. What are you personally going to do? You've mentioned all of these other qualifications and things. What are you personally going to do to ensure to address these immediate concerns? Because th those, those, are, those are some pretty big ideas, too, to, to give a cash payment to, to tribal members. But what are you going to do in the immediate, if you get elected, to, to start getting these things and to bring that spirit of cooperation? Thank you for that question. Well, I think that the first kind of step towards answering that um, query is realizing that the processes of getting our judicial branch up and running and getting kind of, you know, our constitution short up, getting the per capita distribution um, fully implemented. Those are processes that are simultaneously both short-term and long-term. So the processes to sort of uh, start towards that uh, definitely should begin without delay. But realistically, the road to full realization is going to be more long term. Just for an example, we've had the opportunity to develop fluency in our constitution over the past couple of years, and it's become evident where there are gaps of clarity, where there's ambiguity that can be crystallized, and where certain processes outlined therein can be improved. I was chatting with uh, you know, a legislator, Anita Anko Johnson, just a few weeks ago, and she made the point that the Constitution is a document that's designed to evolve uh, to our own evolution as a people. And so shoring it up is always going to be a continuous kind of process. So I think coming from that perspective is the first sort of step towards building those infrastructures, having realistic and honest assessments about what's going to be encompassed in laying the bricks for kind of building out those robust architectures to get ourselves fully operational as a tribe, which is going to kind of encompass more of a long-term and continuous um, timeline. We should always think kind of of these processes both as things that should be tackled um, immediately and should be prioritized, but we should also realize that a lot of these kind of um, policy areas that we're discussing are going to be continuous processes um, that we're never really going to be disengaged from. 
And okay, so just just real quick, where um like and we're talking about relief, right? For our for our last couple of minutes, we're talking about relief. What kinds of what kinds of those policies are you going to suggest to be implemented to bring that quick relief should you should you be voted into office? Right. I mean, I think the first step towards um, kind of changing the paradigm and prioritizing the sort of more pressing and immediate everyday practical realities of our um, constituents is going to be twofold. Um, within kind of each legislative office, there is kind of the ability to sort of set the tone and the tenor um, about how we're engaging and interacting with the people that we serve. So with District 4 residents, I mentioned that, um, you know, I would definitely like to just kind of change the entire dynamic that's been in place. They should feel comfortable coming in at any time, calling, emailing, accessing me as a resource um, to sort of connect them with aid, with programs. And I think that's sort of been sorely lacking in the past couple of years. I think uh, beyond that, uh, we just need to kind of uh, reconfigure our legislative priorities. Right now, over the course of the past year, um, there have been a number of bills that uh, address like abstract concerns that certainly have salience to ourselves as indigenous peoples. But I think uh, whenever we're kind of taking a realistic, clear-eyed assessment of what is going to benefit our Kiowas the most, we have to ask ourselves, is um, kind of addressing uh, mascots in another state going to be uh, more of a priority than sort of uh, developing a plan for relief for the cost of gas that's skyrocketing. We need to have kind of a more proactive approach to sort of adapting to real world challenges as they develop. Well, Cole DeLon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning and to share your platform with us here at Talk Jive and with the Kiowa people. Kiowa citizens, don't forget you vote on May 7th. You already have your absentee ballot. And so make sure that you get those back. Y'all have a paid envelope in there. Okay. So, so make sure that you get those ballots back and you vote at the polls on May 7th. And so um, make sure that you, you have you have all kinds of ways to make your voice be heard. Thank you so much again to Kiowa Tribal uh, District Legislator candidate from District 4. <laughs> thanks, Caldelon. Thank you Thank so you, much. And so much um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is Talk Jive Radio. We're Indigenous, we're independent, and we are nonprofit. Have a great day. You too.